Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober. The podcast for the sober and sober curious. Hi there and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And today I am with a really special guest and we've been wanting to do this for a while. So I'm really, really delighted. Um, And Janik is here with me and Janik is the founder and owner of the International Recovery Specialists, um, a speaker and author and um, used to be in a famous band. So we can talk about that, Um, but also, you know, in long term recovery herself and has a really amazing story to share and also just the work that she does I really want to highlight and bring to your attention um, especially if you're a coach um, and wanting to sort of upskill and learn more around this area. Um, I actually trained with Janik myself so um, I can definitely say that it was a really wonderful experience and I learned so so much. So hi Janik, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, so yeah, we always start with just saying checking and saying hi. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've been excited to do this uh, podcast with you. So I'm great. It's a little bit sunshine in Sweden today, so that's good. <laughs> yes. Um. So yeah, we always start by um a little bit about your your journey into recovery. Really, if you if we can start there. So. Um, yes how how long have you been in recovery and 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 how did you get there I guess yeah yeah so it's a very long story so I'm going to try to make it very short but uh, right now in June God willing I have 14 years wow amazing yeah I mean just having one day was difficult in the beginning but um, I'm born in Sweden. I was brought up by a very crazy, fantastic, phenomenal, but wild family who uh, talked in colors and talked in uh, movements and not so much words. Uh, both parents were psychiatrists. And so when I started learning how to use words, I was a little older than other people. And I guess my whole family was like that. And uh, one night I told my mother I hated her. I was 11 years old. I didn't know what that meant at all. But that night she killed herself. And my little brain of being 11 year old couldn't put two and two together. Like she's probably depressed or something else is going on in her life, you know. So now knowing what I know about addiction, I understand that that's that's the time where my if let's say we have a little on and off switch, hmm. that's when the switch went on. And I knew that uh, if I start hurting myself, like cutting myself or banging myself into walls or bleeding, um, then I didn't feel the pain in my heart. So now I know that I found a way of healing myself, which nobody told me was bad. Hmm. Nobody told me I, I shouldn't do at all, right? So from 11 to, well, to 40 about, I, I was cutting myself and doing a lot of harm to my body. Um, so I didn't have to feel the pain inside of my heart. Um, and then uh, I was also taught uh, to always say yes, never to say no. So when I met this man in a disco, that's how old I am. 
and he asked me to come to New York with him. I said, yes. And I was sort of just like telling my dad, you know, like I'm leaving, bye, you know. And he was like, yeah, come when you get there. You know, it's very hippla, hoopla kind of family. Uh, and he was in a band that I have never heard before called Bruce Springsteen. So for me, it was like, did not know what I was up to at all. And I got to New York and I really wanted to be a cat on Broadway because I was a really good dancer because dancing has been in, since I was born because that's how we sp spoke. Mm. And um, cats is uh, Swedish, Abba uh, wrote, uh, Bjorn and Benny wrote cats. So I thought like, of obviously I'm gonna be a cat. And so I did an audition for another band. And I, unfortunately I got the job. I wanna be a cat, but I became a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yes, I became a coconut in a band called Kid Creole and the Coconuts, which I did for 10 years. And, and the amazing thing in, in that story is that I was thrown in from a little town in Gothenburg, Sweden, to this enormously famous band um, right away. It, I, I didn't pay the dues, let's say, you know, they were already really famous. So when I, uh, I got the job immediately and they were going on tour a month later. So I had to learn 25 songs and, you know, and I hardly spoke English. And I got a bodyguard and I got an accountant and I got someone to fix my hair and someone to carry my luggage. You know, it was just like, like a movie, like a movie. Mm. But also in that, you know, this is the eighties. This was 1985. Um, I, I didn't know about, I, I drank because people drink in Sweden, even though I was a dancer, but you just drank parties or things like that. Um, but as a coconut, you got everything for free because you were famous, right? So everything was free. I tried everything in the world, but I didn't get hooked on anything. That wasn't until later. Mm. I quit the coconuts. Uh, I was with them for 10 years and then I got codependent on a man that was a very large aura man. He wasn't a large man, but his aura was enormous. He walked into a room and it took over the room. There was just <gasps> that kind of situation. And we built an empire in New York City of art galleries. And I got thrown into the business of art and um, fell in love with the, the art scene fell in love with his brain, let's say, not so much him as a person, but his brain. And I got very codependent and slowly and surely I became nothing. You know, all my money from the coconuts went to him and mm. the galleries and, you know, it was just that uh, my, my, my manipulation that so many people go through. And especially I think people that has that, um, uh, destructive behavior that in your brain that I need to be loved, I need to be loved, you know. And so that day they came, you know, they, the day where he asked to marry me came and it was the luckiest day in my life because now I could actually become Mrs. and his name, right? I didn't even have to have my own name anymore. I could change my passport and be like Mrs. and his name. And I was like, oh my God, that was the best thing for a codependent person. And, um, and then one day, one month before the wedding, sorry, 
he called me into his office and he says, you know, sweetheart, we're not gonna get married. And now we were quite a famous couple in New York City by then. Um, the New York Post were gonna cover the wedding and all that stuff. And he's like, you know, I really need to go out and have some more sex. And I was so deeply into the codependency and my own destructive behavior in my, in my head that I couldn't, I couldn't live, literally breathe without him. So I said to him, that's okay. You can go out and have sex with others. You just have to marry me. And then I blacked out. And I didn't black out because of alcohol or anything like that. It was an emotional blackout. I couldn't handle it. And it, now I understand it's also my mother. She left. When someone commits suicide, you're live on Thursday and dead on Friday, right? So it's a very, very traumatic experience. It's not dying slowly, it's dying quickly. And this was the same thing. It ended it quickly, right? So I woke up on Fifth Avenue in an in a office of a, of a doctor and it was a female and she was like, sweetheart, really, you are so messed up. And she gave me all of these like medicines and stuff. And she gave me one particular little pill and she, she said, sweetie, you really need this right now. And I popped that pill in and 20 minutes later, I was like, bing. Mm. And that was oxycotton, which is heroin but in on a pill form mm. and that feeling I've only had that feeling twice in my life it was that time and another time when I tried to read um, detox and I couldn't and I took a pill again and that feeling happened again but I was on oxycontins and drinking red wine because that was my favorite for a long 20 something years so a very long time tried to commit suicide several times, uh, lost the gallery when um, we have galleries all over, even in Hong Kong. Uh, we lost all of it uh, when 9-11 happened. Mm. Um, and I did get married with a person that was very, was the best thing that ever happened to me. However, I don't remember getting married, which is a really scary feeling because I woke up one day and I was like, <gasps> You know, who are you laying in my bed? You know, and he's like, uh, your husband? I was like, wow. It was like, because when you take so much pills, so much, you're damaging your brain so extraordinary mm. that part of the brains sometimes wakes up and goes away and wakes up and goes. So I guess that morning I woke up that side of my brain and, and just like, I can't believe I'm married. But um, I married someone that works for FBI. <laughs> so that was a good thing because they are, they are black and white thinkers. They have to be, right? They can never, if you need to shoot someone and, and a person says shoot, you can't say, oh no, no, you just have to do it. And he was a sharpshooter. So he was a very black and white thinker and I'm not. So he actually saved my life. We were together for seven years and uh, he knew about my pill popping slowly and surely. Uh, we drank well together. And um, one day he took off his wedding ring and he had found a bottle of 200 pills in my pocketbook and he put it on the table and he said, that's it, you choose. You even take that the ring or you take the pills and I took the pills.
Hmm. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He locked the door with me outside. <laughs> he uh, emptied out my bank account, which was almost nothing anyway. And he uh, divorced me, which it's, it was an abandonment issue. So for me, this was absolutely living hell, which we don't need to do anymore. We don't need to reach bottoms like that. But I did. I was 40 years old, so I was quite old. And he found me after about a week and he said, are you done? And I said, yes, I am. And um, I bought a lot of pills. I bought a lot of wine and I got in a car with him and we went to rehab. And that was June 6, uh, 2007, I guess, so 14 years ago in June. Yeah. And from that day on, I haven't cut myself. I haven't um, I worked on my codependency and I haven't drank nor taken any mind altering drugs. So uh, I lived in rehab for a year and a half because I, I had um, another problem that I don't speak about so much, but something that came up and that is I have, I, I have sexual, sexual anorexia. Mm. And uh, not a lot of people know about it. And um, that was something I really needed to take care of in, in rehab. And it bloomed up in rehab, um, which happens when you take, or can happen. When you take, take one drug away, something else can happen. And I now understand it because I started cutting when I was 11. So the whole body image and the whole body, feeling my body and all that stuff. So um, that's something that, um, um, when people talk about sex addiction, they talk, they think sex addiction like porn or other things, but never, we never talk really about sex, sexual anorexia, which I think it's important that we do. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for sharing your incredible story. Um, and there's, I mean, there's one person that that you haven't talked about was well, not really a person but there was something that you you found or adopted at that time which which changed everything because that wasn't the first time you went to rehab right so people often ask like what what was different and I love this part of the story so yeah what was different um the last time there was a little creature I believe that <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yes, I mean, it's incredible because I lived, like I said, I stayed in rehab, I believe, for a little too long, right? But I couldn't get out because I was so scared. And so I start, they allowed me to start working and I started working in this little dog store <laughs> where they also sell puppies. And this little puppy came in and he was a chihuahua and he was a blue chihuahua, which is that kind of grayish silver with big ears. And he looked like, almost like a rat and but like, like a big rat, like, like this, but the puppy was like this big. And he fell in love with me. I can't have a puppy, I'm living in rehab, right? And he wouldn't eat if I wasn't in the store. He wouldn't, he just fell in love with me. And then I asked the owner if I could take him and work off the money. And so he lived with me in rehab and I had a, a jumper on, which has a, a thing for the head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he lived, he lived in that head. Yeah. And, 
because he was so small and he didn't say anything. And then one day he was a little bit bigger and it put, he came up on my shoulder like that here. And my therapist, oh my God, she screamed because she thought it was a rat coming up on my shoulder. And she got so angry. She was like, get out. And that's how I got out of rehab. <laughs> my little dog, his name was Blue. And I took my little dog and I took all my little stuff and we went out and on an adventure together. And he actually became a certified um, uh, working dog because he had that, he had a very special way of being with people, which I didn't know. He, he taught me, I didn't teach him. He taught me, he was, oh. He, mm. Yeah, and I love that because, well, I mean, what we talked about when, in the training and something that I really appreciated you know, working with you in, in this conversation is this idea of unconditional love, you know, and, and the idea that sort of what's happening is that disconnect from self, you know, because of trauma or because of adverse childhood experiences or whatever it is, or, you know, codependency or outsourcing ourselves to something or someone or some sort of coping mechanism. And the way back is that kind of, of of unconditional love, you know, and I mean, I have a cat and my cat was important in my sobriety story. And I just love that 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 was the turning point for you. That was just this little this little thing that loved you more than you could love yourself and, and kind of taught you that love was possible, I suppose. Yes. Yes, absolutely. With that blue, I really don't know what, how the road would have been. You know, blue was everything to me. And he became, he barked the serenity prayer. <laughs> I swear to God, this is a true story. And I could record it because you can't record in the meetings, right? But with, the, you know, you would stand, hand, hold hands. And he always went into the circle and it went, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> It was unbelievable. A truly, truly unbelievable. And he became like, everywhere I went, I was like, the wonder dog that could bark the serenity prayer <laughs> in any language because it's all the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you mentioned um, serenity prayer. So you mentioned kind of, I know that the fellowship was important to you in, in yeah. your recovery. So yeah, what would be your tips for people starting out and what, what helped you to kind of maintain your sobriety and, and your recovery? Yes, um, I, I want to say that the 12 step meetings are not for everybody and you don't have to go there if you don't really like it. I also want to say something that helped me because I, um, I hated God so much that I actually read theology while I was a coconut. So I could, uh, I could in, in a nice way and in an intelligent way, let you know that God didn't exist, right? <laughs> so sick. And so when I was in uh, therapy at this, so this treatment center, the last one, uh, I had a very good therapist who I, I told them all a different religion and how could that, blah, 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 and you know, and then she said to me, oh my God, so you have been like reading about this and hating something for 30 something years that don't even exist. 
how does that feel? And I was like, oh my God, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like I've invested all this time in something that I don't, I don't even believe in. And as soon as I did that, a, a door just cracked mm. and opened and I believed, but I believed in my, my belief. And so I, I want to say to your followers that someone also very, very nice and an older person in an AA meeting said, who cares about the G-O-D? Just think about it as good orderly direction because I bet you, you did not have a lot of good orderly direction in your life, did you? And I was like, that I could really copy. Mm. I could live right now a good orderly directed life. So I, I borrowed that for a long time until I got into understanding the, the kind of stupidness of, of that little word destroying uh, such a juicy, beautiful program, right? Yeah. But so there are others. So I'm lucky enough to be, be uh, living in New York for, for 36 years. And we have smart meetings there. And we have other meetings there. So there are so many meetings. And now the, uh, the only good thing about COVID is that every meeting is online. So you can go, you can literally go to any meeting you want. There are lipstick anonymous. There are, uh, you know, surgery anonymous. There are so many things. You can just check them out. Yeah. Uh, if you want to, if, if you feel like it's something that is bothering you or go to another meeting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I love that kind of, that openness as well because I mean 12 steps never been part of my recovery and you know I appreciate and value it for other people but it's just not something that's spoken to me one thing that a friend said to me about how she trans sort of translated god was grace over drama which I love which is grace over drama yeah Beautiful. which is that one. yeah it's it's <laughs> makes so much sense because again it's the same thing it's like good orderly direction it's just like no you know what do I want in my life chaos which is what my behavior is doing or do I want you know focused direction um feeling yeah, of yeah feeling of kind of presence and happiness and all those things so um so in terms of your self-care practices what because we talk about a lot of self-care on the podcast what do you do for your emotional and physical well-being and thank you for, for talking about that, because I think that the, the, I, I work a lot with people uh, that has um, destructive behavior and they feel like, but if I stop this, life is going to be boring, right? And so for me, I love meditating. And it, in the very beginning, it was difficult because I didn't want to sit still for too long. But then I learned that when you meditate, you don't have to sit in a specific way or do it in a specific way. You find your way. You can just sit in a chair. You can do whatever. And that, that really helped me. So I do meditation. I love to laugh. That, I think, is the most important thing for me. I need to laugh. And that's also one of the reasons why I got blue. Because mm. Blue was the funniest little dog. <laughs> and we, I mean, he was just, a, we had clothes on him and he was like, he had Ugg boots and, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> you name it. He even had sunglasses and I had a swimming trunk and, you know, like <laughs> we went diving together and he had a diving suit. I mean, we had, we were just, it was just craziness with him. And um, 
So laughing is extremely important to me. Uh, and camaraderie, mm. even if it is camaraderie, people that do drink, I don't care anymore. You know, it's like, if you want to drink, that's all right. You know, I'm not going to stare at you. <laughs> so for me, help, help. I, every day I meditate and I make sure that I laugh. Something. I yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and, and the camaraderie thing, you know, just being around other people that kind of just fill you up and make you feel good. And yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So tell us about your work. Tell us about the international recovery specialist. Why did you set it up? What do you do? Yeah. Tell us more. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the International Recovery Specialty Specialist Institute was born in New York City, where I set up my. Uh, well, the long story is that the New York, New York State actually wrote uh, a certified or accredited um, um, career curriculum for recovery coaches because it became sort of like a cowboy. Everybody was recovery coaches. So as soon as they had done that, and it was Oasis, so it's an office of, office of Alcohol and Substance Use Disorder in New York State. Uh, I took that and then I took the trainer trainer. So I could train and I could train to train. Uh, I wrote my book, which is in Sweden. I came to Sweden and they have never heard about recovery coaching. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ding! <laughs> so I translated the whole entire curriculum into Swedish taught it and understood that this is not gonna work in Europe. We're so different than America. So I went to EU, the board, the medical board to care of all of uh, the certification accreditation and all of these things and worked with them to get it accredited. So each country can work with it. And I got it accredited. That's my pride of joy. I'm so happy I did that. And so what we do, we, certify and teach uh, recovery coaching, interventions, safe transports, uh, recovery specialists, that's all of that. And then trauma-informed recovery coaching, NLP, which is a very good way of, of coaching. So we teach that too. And my future is going so uh, right now we have Spanish speaking recovery coach training that just started. Uh, we're going to get Italian uh, speaking recovery coaching. And I also have uh, obviously Swedish speaking recovery coaching because I understand that not every country speaks English. Yeah. They really don't. Like you go to France and not everybody speaks English. I was going to say, so, and, and French. <laughs> yes. And so I'm looking for that, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm open now for, and Moscow, you know, I went over to Moscow and I trained over there. We had to have a translator the whole time. It, it, yeah. was, it was difficult, right? Mm. So I want to have a Russian speaking recovery coach trainer. So that's my dream is to have, so so that so we don't hurt people so we are really trained we have ethical codes we are all insured and we have um tr been trained according to the evidence-based and best practice based at least according to the eu rules and codes yeah i love it and you know and it's true it's it's really interesting when you start to look at kind of 
what's been happening in America for so long now <laughs> and then what is available in the UK and there's such a huge gap in terms of understanding in terms of care I mean the US has a lot of work to do for sure yeah. in terms of you know how they view addictive behaviors and criminalization and oh. etc um, but yeah I mean we're we're far behind in kind of in in understanding um, and so within the trauma-informed kind of aspects I know that's part of the training it's really important can you explain to people a little bit because people often say well I don't have trauma like I don't have big t trauma um, so can you maybe just explain what trauma can look like for people um, yeah. which maybe who don't identify with big t kind of trauma yes thank you for that question so some think that to become uh, a substance use disorder or any other process addiction or, or um, uh, emotional addiction, you have to have a trauma, right? Like you, something happened in your childhood. According to me, not true because I've seen it, I've heard it, I've worked with it, right? But it could be a trauma just to not have children, not marry, not have what everybody else had, right? So I was 13 and drank, everybody else was drinking, but I drank more. I did more, I did different. And those could be little traumas. It doesn't have to be rape or abuse or anything. It could just be not feeling part of, right? Feeling like you're an alien in another world, like I don't belong here. That could be a little T. Mm -hmm. And little T's are as important as big T's. Because I had, ha I had a, a, a client and I feel so much for her. And she said, but I've never been raped. I shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, but you don't have to be, you don't have to have these giant traumas in your life to be here. You know, you belong here if you say you belong here. And, you know, things will, will come up that, might have been traumatic just little things yeah and I think it's so important because you know luckily now the conversation is getting a lot more nuanced you know we've moved away from you know black and white you either are an an alcoholic or you're not you know we're talking about substance use and we're talking about you know gradient scales of addictive behaviors and it's getting nuanced and part of that nuance is being able to talk about trauma in a way that um has impact anyone and as you say it's that feeling of just being different or not yeah. fitting or just yeah in any way that could that could impact you um so yeah. I love that so thank you for yeah explaining yeah. Well, it in that way I want to just stick in here mental health so dual diagnose I mean that's something also we haven't really uh a lot when I go to um events and things that talk a lot about substance use and, and, and process addictions and so forth. But the dual diagnose is almost it's almost hand in hand, right? Yeah. So so it's like when you go to treatment center, you get totally clean, let's say they take you off everything, and then they don't want to really there's no psychiatrist they can see if you might need something, you might need 
uh, antidepressants or you, if you are bipolar or, or if you, you know, schizophrenia or whatever it is. So I think we have to be super careful when, and that's why it's so important that the schooling you take, yeah. like, like International Recovery Specialist Institute, it includes that. So it's not either or. Yeah. You can be both and you, you can stop doing the behaviors, but still need medication. Yes, yeah. you have a, another a diagnose. Yeah, I completely agree. And I mean, that's been a huge part of my own journey was just like, um, oh, you know, like owning my my mental illness. Like I'm someone that gets depressed. I'm someone that gets anxious. Yes, I've had trauma, but that's they are, you know, interdependent, but also connected, you know. So and um, yeah, and that the idea of being you know not in recovery if you are following sort of medication is is absurd really it's, I mean. ludicrous. it's absolutely ludicrous and yeah. this is the only uh, if we call it disease which i'm not really liking but but it's the only way that we present it's like you are only clean or in recovery if you do it our way mm. You would never say that to someone with a heart surgery, you know, or like uh, diabetes or something like, yeah. okay, you're back again, like get out, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, but, but I have to say, you know, we need to get out of the basements, we need to get out of those um, uh, and now I'm talking to us that programs, we need to get out and stop being so anonymous. Mm. We can be anonymous about who is in the meeting, but let's get some proud. I mean, what we've been through, what we go through every single day of just like, of, of, of thinking and working on me and think, oh my God, I'm really proud over there. Yeah. And I think that we should. Mm. And it's like life skills, isn't it? I mean, it's like you learn so much in being in recovery about how to live and how we interact in the, in the world. It's like, well, those, those are healing tools for the, the world, right? Like, let's not keep them hidden away, you know? I mean, we, we understand now it's like connection is the opposite of addiction. So it's like, let's spread that knowledge <laughs> a little <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> Um, okay, well, we're coming towards the end. So um, we always finish with a tip of the day. So something like a, a practical tip for people that they could take away. Um, and also your reason, we, we say your reason to love being sober. So what's your, you know, your big why today? Um, um, my tip of the day, I think is, um, um, you know, um, the reward is that you will become you you will be you uh, it, um, and you can change whenever you want and you can start the day over whenever you want but when you are uh, stuck in uh, a destructive behavior it's not really you it's you, your brain get kidnapped right so uh, welcome to the world of being you first of all and uh, the tip of the day, uh, I guess it's smile, 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 smile. Even if you have to fake it, just put a smile on your face. It's very hard to put a smile on your face and being pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it, and it happens so many things in the brain. I always carry around a second brain just in case, you know, this doesn't work. 
yeah so smile a lot it's it's very good for you that's my tip of the day oh smile. I love it yeah <laughs> and what's your reason to love being sober oh to be me to be you yeah yeah to be curious about me and every day I learn something else oh fantastic thank you so much for coming on the podcast and thank sharing you, with us and um yeah and obviously all the details for Janique's incredible work is on the show notes um so yeah if you are listening to this and you're immediately concerned about your drinking or any other behavior um you know get in touch you're not alone there's so many sort of avenues of support out there um you know if we're not the great fit for you then we can direct you to someone else you know there we're our networks of kind of people working together just to provide the right support for you as an individual so you know don't be afraid just to um, send us a message at info at lovesober.com and um, yeah we'll see you next week for more chat and just for the last thing for me is whatever school you go to to become a recovery specialist or so just make sure to do your homework yes sure they are accredited yeah 100% and um yeah and as you know as I did uh, Yannick's uh, training I can I can give you a personal recommendation that it was fantastic and um yeah and I'm doing their um trauma-informed training soon so I'm super super excited about that so do check them out and yeah and I think it's it's so important that you know you're working with people uh, who are accredited and being accredited yourself um that's the where we want the coaching world to go to for sure yes. <laughs> yeah <business>. yes. <laughs> thanks so much take thank care you. everyone bye bye so much for having me thank you